kidding. Heckling is not allowed in the service. It's good to have you, Alberto. But now let me tell you, the, the best part of that duo is sitting over there on the end. So just, just know that that's, that's the best part. So, But uh, let me remind you also that seriously, it, uh, we've asked them to come this morning and do a few songs, as, you, as you've seen. And uh, at the end of the service, we will have a... What? What did I say? I tell you what, this is not the comedy service. <laughs> if you will, get your Bibles and turn with it to Luke chapter 9. As Alabarch has already said, now I've used this title before, but this is a different message. So if you see the title and think, I've heard that before, I can go home. No, you got to stay with us. The Cost of Discipleship. Would you stand with me as we read these verses? Luke 9, 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this day we've had already. Thank you for Brother Alberto as he came and sang these songs and we just thank you for the, the message those songs had to each one of us. Now, Lord, let us take that internally, and, Lord, we would grow from that and see that what we've got here. Lord, go with us through the rest of the service. Just open our hearts to be receptive to your word and your word only. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. The cost of discipleship. If there's anything that's true about our society today, it's this. We have become an excuse-filled society. It used to be that to say the words, excuse me, was a gesture of courtesy. It is now a method of getting around personal responsibility, it seems like. How many times have we said something like, well, excuse me? But then sometimes we put the emphasis on the other one, well, excuse me. And that's the way a lot of people use that phrase today. One of the most respected authors, in the, uh, Christian authors in America, is John MacArthur. He made this observation in his book called The Vanishing Conscience, page 24 if you're interested. He writes, and I quote, Our culture has declared war on guilt. Perhaps the most prevalent means of escaping blame is by classifying every human failing as some kind of disease. Drunkards and drug addicts can check into clinics for treatment of their chemical dependencies. Children who habitually defy authority can escape condemnation by being labeled as hyperactive or having ADD, attention deficiency disorder. Gluttons are no longer blameworthy. They suffer from eating disorders. 
Even the man who throws away his family's livelihood to pay for prostitutes is supposed to be an object of compassionate understanding. He's addicted to sex. That's the nation we live in nowadays. It's everywhere. Three years ago, or a few years, excuse me, several years ago, a newspaper carried this article, and I believe that Miss Ann Landers at the time, or her associates, whatever it was, picked this up and put it in the newspaper, and it was, I, I cut it out one time, and, but it's real good. But it's, as the evening news commentators might say, folks, I'm not making this up. Let me give you some excuses people gave for actual accidents that happened and how they tried to get out of the blame for it. Number one, coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I did not have. Number two, I collided with a stationary truck coming the other way. Number three, a truck backed through my windshield into my wife's face. Number four, a pedestrian hit me and went under my car. Number five, the guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. Number six, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed for the embankment. Don't use that one, guys. (laughs) Number seven, in my attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. Number eight, I told the police I was not injured, but on removing my hat, I found that I had a fractured skull. Number nine, the pedestrian had no idea which way to run, so I ran over him. And the last one, the indirect cause of the accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. Now, Billy Sunday, the great preacher of the early 1900s, said this, An excuse is just the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. I heard about a husband who made two terrible mistakes in one day. He forgot his wife's birthday. Then he tried to cover his oversight without thoroughly thinking through the consequences of this excuse he was about to use. He said, Honey, I just want you to know that I did not forget your birthday. I just didn't buy you anything. Guys, that don't work, believe me. I've tried that. So, <laughs> There is an interesting event that take, is recorded in the ninth chapter of Luke that we just read that teaches us that there is no excuse for not following Jesus. There is no excuse. I don't care which one you come up with. There's no excuse for not following Jesus. According to this passage we just read, can you think of times when you've tried to come up with an excuse? Now, let me... I've shared over the years that uh, I've had people that I was witnessing to and so forth, and I've got this little question I always try to put in the conversation. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's, it's just simply this. Can you think of any reason that you could give God that God would accept as to why you cannot accept Jesus Christ over your life? I've only had a couple of ty- people even try to give me a reason. But the fact is, when it comes to following Jesus Christ and giving Him your life, your soul, your all, there is no excuse for not doing it. It doesn't matter what the excuse is. 
Here's three men we just, men we just read about. And each one of them have a different story, but it came to the same result each time. Three men were given the opportunity of following Jesus, and each one gave a different excuse for saying no. You're going to see that their, peop- their problem was not that they could not follow Jesus, but rather that they would not follow Jesus. And I'm convinced in our day and time today that that's exactly what we face most of the time. It's not that they cannot, they just don't want to. They don't understand the implications. They don't understand the eternal consequences of it. Notice the three problems each man presented to in refusing to follow Jesus. Number one, the uncounted cost. We read verse 57 that we just read through. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that sounds like a preacher's dream come true. Can you imagine some Sunday somebody walks down the aisle and takes my hand and shakes my hand and says, I just wanted to commit my life to Jesus. I'll follow him anywhere he wants to go. Man, that visitor's car will be whipped out so quick and fill out the information and hand it back to him. Here, drop this off a plate. We'd have him sign up so fast, next week he'd be a deacon in the church. I mean, we, we want them that, that kind of people. But that's exactly what this man did to Jesus. He says, Lord, I will follow you anywhere you go. But watch what Jesus did. It seems totally, wait a minute, what did you just do, Jesus? But Jesus did not listen to the man's words. He looked at the man's heart. He looked inside of him to see what his motivation was. He looked at the man's heart. Oh, this man was impulsive, but he was not impressive to Jesus. Jesus saw through him like a piece of glass. He saw through exactly what he was. Now, this man probably, now I'm just assuming this because of the time it was and the area he's in and so forth, had seen Jesus perform spectacular miracles. Maybe he fed the 5,000. Maybe he turned the water into wine. Whatever it was, he had seen Jesus do something. He was impressed with this guy named Jesus. He saw him being thronged by the huge crowds. He heard and watched the adulation and adoration that everybody gave to Jesus. And he was starstruck. He said to himself, that's the life that I want for me. That's what I need to be doing. I need to get Jesus to teach me all that stuff. That's what I want. You see, Jesus saw through his motives. There are a lot of people today who go into ministry and they burn out, flame out, or drop out from one reason or another. I've had several of my friends, several people that I know, that over the years have gone into ministry and found out that it was not the life they wanted after all. Let me tell you. I was looking up the other day just trying to figure out how long I've been pastoring, and it's over 30 years. That's a pretty good, that's over three-quarter of my lifetime close. But don't do it. <laughs> but it's, I've been doing it for a long time, and I've seen a lot of young guys come to the ministry, and they thought, this is the life that I want. In fact, Somebody wrote a book titled, You Know You're a Preacher If. One of the pages reads like this. You know you're a preacher if people are always asking you, and what else do you do for a living? 
You see, most people never see the letters that come in, the phone calls that must be returned, the problems that must be solved, the criticism that must be heard, and the rumors that must be stopped are the people that must be seen. I remember the first church we were ever at, and this, as God is my witness, actually happened. We had preached our sermon. We had become voters in the, like a week before or whatever it was. And I, I, that was my first time at bar. It was, it was a good one, too. And this little lady come through the back doors, our doors back like right here between the aisles. And I stand there, boy, I was excited a bit, this new church and everything. And she looked at me and she said, well, you're not as good as the last one we had, but I guess you'll work. I didn't know whether to say thank you or get out of here. <laughs> but let me tell you something. You won't believe how many times I've been yelled at, fussed at, phone calls. There came one time in my our ministry, and this was not too many years ago. Well, it has been quite a few years ago. My son was playing baseball, and I was helping another guy coach the team. And my wife had come out to the practice. I don't think it was a game. I think she's out of practice. And one of our members had died that day. And because she didn't tell this lady about it, she called her up on the phone and chewed her out. Now, folks, let me tell you something. You can call me anything you want to, do anything you want to, you better leave her alone because that makes me fat and mad. She called, he called her up and literally chewed her out because she didn't tell him. I mean, we're out of baseball. Didn't even think about it. The next morning, he called me up and said, he started on me. And just really just raking me over the coals. I mean, this actually happened. It just so happened that the lady that died, we were having her funeral in just about an hour. And I said, man, I don't have time for this right now. He said, I'm fixing to come out of that church and we're going to go out in the parking lot and we're going to settle this. I said, well, come on. <laughs> I said, I've got to get to a funeral in an hour. So hurry up and make it quick. Of course, he never showed up. Another time at that same church, they had just gone through a bad split before we got there. Not too long before we got there. I mean, it was bad. And there was one family that had left that lived right down the road from us, and I'd seen them and spoke to them. They waved. Hey, that's a friendly couple. I went down to their house to visit one day, and I didn't know the whole story of what happened, but so forth. But he was, now this is a church member, was standing on the porch with a bottle of beer. And I walked to the porch. It's one of those old time, uh, high porches like that. And I was standing there looking up at this guy, and I said, man, we'd love to have you all come back. And he, he said some choice words and so forth. He took that beer, and he splashed it all over me. Now, my old Texas temper was getting hot at that time. I looked at him, and I said, Sir, aren't you glad I'm a Christian? And he says, Why in the world would I be glad you're a Christian? I said, Because otherwise I'd bring you down here, and I'd stomp the daylights out of you. And I turned and left. He never came to church. I don't know why, but never came back to church. <laughs> but anyway, but there, what I'm trying to say is it's not all fun and games. We have people that are dying in our church. It's not fun to go visit. Now you say, well, is it supposed to be fun? Well, no, but you're, you're, you're supposed to. I mean, we're supposed to stand contact. Our prayers are there and so forth. But it hurts sometimes to see people. And then we have people sometimes that just say things that are just so mean-spirited. This is church people. I'm not talking about the people outside the building here. I'm talking about church people sometimes. Now, I know that doesn't happen around here, so don't get the wrong idea. But anyway... They don't understand all the things that goes in. And I'm not trying to pity party on my back. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just saying that sometimes people can be cruel. Christian people can be cruel if you're not careful. 
Let's move along. <clears throat> they get into the, real, into the ministry and realize that it's not what they thought it was. Jimmy Draper wrote a book not too long ago, and this is a subject that has scared me all of my life. This is the one thing I'm afraid of in my ministry. He called the uh, Jimmy Draper called the title of the book "Don't Re- Don't Quit Before You Finish." That has been the most thing that bothers me more than anything because I've watched many pastors, young and old, get out of the ministry. And that's one of the things I've prayed, God, don't let me quit before it's over. Let me finish the race. I don't want to be one of those that mess up and get kicked out of the ministry. I don't want to be one of those that get caught in scandalous situations. I'm just human. It can happen, but it can happen to each one of us. Well, this man thought that following Jesus was all sunshine and no rain, all comfort and no pain. I'm sure he thought that when you follow Jesus that there will always be a crown, but he never thought of there being a cross. Always gain and never loss. But to his credit, Jesus didn't pull any punches when he talked to him. He gave this man a rude awakening. And Jesus said to him, verse 58, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds have nests. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, that doesn't sound like a very appealing life, does it? But this guy saw the glimmer, the glitz, all the good things, and he wanted that. But watch what happens. One thing I love about the Lord Jesus Christ was he never painted an overly rosy picture about discipleship. You won't find any health and wealth sermons on Jesus' lips. He never promised a Rolex on every, every wrist, a Mercedes in every garage. He never promised that. In fact, he never even promised a diamond ring on every finger. You won't find where Jesus ever said that if you'll follow me, all the seas will be calm, every road will be smooth, every sky will be blue. That's what we want to hear, isn't it? Quite frankly, that's the way a lot of people want it, expect it. And that's why the way that a lot of people desire it to be. Well, wait a minute. If I become a Christian, then everything, all my problems ought to go away. Wrong. I'll mark it down. You become a Christian, and you'll face more problems. It's just part of our lives. In fact, Dr. Vance Havner, one of our old-time preachers, said that he believes a lot of Christians have this as their favorite song. Can I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? If others fight to win the prize, I'm not so hard to please. That's the way we want it, isn't it, most of the time? We want it to be the easy road. Now, I'm not just talking about preaching. I'm talking about every one of us. If you claim the name of Christ, expect some trials in your life. It don't matter what it is. Well, the Lord just Jesus just made it plain. And if you follow him and you... Sometimes you're going to have to do without. Why does he do that? I don't know. One of these days I'm going to ask him. Why is that? Because he's teaching us lessons as we go through life. The greatest things you can learn is when you go through hardships. We all go through sickness. We all have death in our families. We all have challenges. Why is that necessary? 
I don't know. You can ask him too. But we all go through challenges, and those challenges grow us and make us more of what God wants us to be, if we're real in the first place. And as we go through that, God strengthens us, and he grows us, and we become more and more of what Jesus wants us to be. That takes time. For some of us, it takes our entire life to get that message. Now, Jesus, what Jesus was saying was not, he didn't, didn't want us to have, he wasn't saying he didn't want us to have comfort, nice things, the good life, if you will. But he does not want comfort, the nice things, or the good life to have us. It's one thing to have those things. It's something else for those things to have us. I want to say a word to everyone who is not a Christian, if you're here this morning. And I mean that by if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior uh, with your life, and that's what I'm talking about. I'm not going to pour you out or anything else, but the Christian life is not a feast. It's a fight. It's not a banquet. It's a battle. If you become a Christian, you won't have to go looking for trouble. Trouble's going to come looking for you. I'll guarantee you. Let me give it to you in a nutshell. This is my theology of discipleship and following Jesus. There are three parts. It pays to serve Jesus. Number two, it costs to serve Jesus. Number three, the cost is temporary. The pay is eternal. Are we serving Jesus right? It will cost you to serve Jesus. It may cost you friends, popularity, money, fame, whatever it is. It costs you to serve Jesus. I can tell you firsthand, when I first became a Christian as a 19-year-old young man, I was playing baseball. I had good friends that played baseball with me. I mean, we just ran together, did things together, did the wrong things together for that matter. And, man, I got saved, and the next time we had a practice, or I don't remember exactly what, or maybe a ball game, I couldn't wait to tell my friends about Jesus. It was like I had bad odor. They just, poof, left me. This is guys I've known for years. And all of a sudden, they didn't want to hear this. I lost good friends, or what I thought was good friends. But I later found out they weren't as good friends as I thought they were. But be prepared. You will probably lose some friends over the time. It will cost you to serve Jesus. It may cost you friends, popularity, money, fame again. That job promotion you've desperately been seeking. But you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit everlasting life. Yes, there may be some problems you face as a Christian in this world, but God's preparing a special place for you. And oh, the blessings that's going to be one of these days. What it'll be. The second man he talked to, the man with the unburied corpse. Well, that's a gross thing to talk about today. Now, I want you to notice what the other two men in this story volunteered to follow Jesus. Jesus personally looked at this man and said, follow me. That's verse 59 that we just read. The other two wanted to follow Jesus on their own, but this guy 
Jesus said, you follow me. And he did. Let me say that at this point, I say that point of the, the greatest and highest privilege in the life we can live is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The greatest mystery in all of life is how any human being would want to refuse to follow Jesus Christ. I mean, it's the greatest life you can live. It may not get you rich. It may not get you where you want to go in life. But, oh, but it'll get you to heaven one of these days. And just think about that. We may live to be 80, 90 years old, and you may die and go to heaven the next breath. Or you can live 89 years old and never confess Jesus Christ, and then for eternity you're going to spend in hell. That's not a very pretty picture. But let's see what happens here. Again, I'll never forget the day as a 19-year-old boy that when I personally became a Christian, I want to tell you this, if he invited me a thousand times since then, I would have followed him every day because it's such a great life that he gave. But this man now gives us his excuse. Look at verse 59. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, Normally, it was the duty of the oldest son to be in charge of taking care of his parents, even their burials and so forth. Because of the climate and the primitive conditions, funerals were done quite quickly in this day and age. So at first glance, it seems like a legitimate request. But notice how Jesus responds in verse 60. Let the dead bury their own dead. That doesn't sound very compassionate, does it? That doesn't sound like he's saying, but but watch what takes place. Now, that raises two questions. What did Jesus mean by this, first of all? And why did he say it? It just seems out of context for Jesus. I mean, here this man, according to his word, had just lost his father, and Jesus has left the dead bury their own dead. But let's look at this a little closer. Sometimes we miss what's really been said. Obviously, The dead can't bury their dead. We know that. So what he was saying is, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. In other words, let those who don't care anything about the kingdom of God handle the mundane matters of life that we all go through eventually. You don't need to be burying the physically dead. Others can do that. You need to be raising the spiritually dead. Now, quite frankly, as I was preparing for this, a lot of Bible scholars on this issue really have questions about this. Let me share what I'm talking about. They're divided as to whether or not this man's father was still living. What the man was saying, or whether the man had already died, and the man was saying, my father is dead, let me first go and spend some time mourning over him, and then I will follow you. It really doesn't matter because that man said to Jesus, what he said to Jesus was, not now, later. That's what he actually said to him. He said, I can't do it now. My father is dying, perhaps. Not now, later. That's what the man said to him. Now, watch this. When Jesus tells you to do something, 
I believe we're to do it immediately. Not now, later. Isn't that what we say a lot of times? Not now, later. I can't do this, but give me some time. I'll think about it. Not now, later. Has it ever occurred to you that the word, if you take the word W off now, all you have left is no? Isn't that the way a lot of Baptists read it? No. Not now, but later. A lot of Baptists do that. I've been a Baptist for a number of years now, and every church I've been in is the same way. When you start looking for Sunday school teachers, people disappear. When you start asking them to help around the church in some way, oh, I just don't have time for it. If Jesus calls you to do something, the greatest privilege you could possibly have is to do it. And do it now. In fact, I'm totally convinced that many Christians, and I say Christians, I mean that, don't have the Christian life they want because not now, later. Not now, later. Anytime anyone was ever saved in the New Testament, we talk about baptism. Any time in the New Testament, go look this up if you want to. Anybody was saved, they were baptized immediately, as quick as they could. Yet some people have delayed that obedience. Did you realize that baptism is the first chance after you become a Christian to obey and follow Jesus? And so many people, not now, but later. You see what Jesus is saying? He's not talking about the man that died or didn't die. We don't know. It doesn't say. He's talking about our attitudes. Are you following Jesus? When Jesus tells you to do something, oh, we've got this class of young boys in here that need to be taught. Not now, later. Lord, I just don't have time for it right now. And that happens every church, probably in Copper's Cove and surrounding areas. And I believe that with all my heart that when we say, not now, later, Jesus says, you just totally disobeyed me. You just totally disobeyed it. Well, I can't do that anymore. There's something you can always do for Jesus. Anytime anyone was ever saved in the New Testament, they were immediately baptized. Yet some people delayed that obedience and are therefore living in disobedience. Because if you didn't follow, Jesus said the first thing we do is to be baptized. Get saved and be baptized. If you don't do that, you're in disobedience. No matter what you do or how hard you try, Jesus will not allow you to go any further in your relationship with him until you take the step of obedience. Well, I've been living like that for 20 years. Just think what you could have done if you obeyed God, what you could be doing. I'm reminded of a father who was talking to his son one day, a little story that I heard some time ago. He asked him, said, go put the, son, go put the, some more wood on the fire, teenage son. The son said, I'll do it later. The dad said, son, if you don't mind, go put some more wood on the fire. The son said, I'm not going to do it now. I'm going to do it later. The dad then demanded that the son do it, but the boy refused. Well, the father brought the matter to a crisis. He said, son, you're rebellious, and you've been rebellious. 
Now you either put the wood on the fire or you leave the house. The boy left. About a year later, he was thinking to himself, man, I was so foolish for leaving a good home, good parents over wood on a fire. Would you please forgive me? He called his father and said, would you please forgive me? His dad said, son, I do forgive you. His dad said, son, uh, said, dad, his son said, dad, may I please come home? The father said, we'd love to have you come home. The son said, yes, you can come home. I would love you to come back home. But before you sit down, go put some wood on the fire. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's probably true in a lot of homes anyway. You see, Jesus wants prompt obedience, but he also wants particular obedience. Look at verse 60. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, out of all these this three different men that he talked to, he turned to this one. He says, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Why did he do that? It never gives us any reason. But I think it does, too. Every one of us in here, if, you've a, if you're a child of God, we all have one commission, to preach the Word of God. That doesn't mean you're going to be a pastor. That doesn't mean you'll go to a church and be the head deacon. But every single one of us are challenged to preach the Word of God, if you're a child of God. Every one of us. There are no excuses. There are no reasons not to. I want to show you something about who you are in the plan of God. Whether you're an ordained minister or not, that has nothing to do with it. Every Christian has the same mission. Not all of us have the same job. Not all of us have the same vocation. Not all of us have the same gifts. Not all of us can do have the same calling. But every one of us has been called and given the duty of preaching and extending the, about, and building the kingdom of God. Every one of us. If you want to know how much your life is really counting for God, when you go to bed tonight, ask yourself this question. What did I do today for the kingdom of God? And by the way, your presence is not part of it. <laughs> You're not that important. <laughs> What did I do today for the kingdom of God? Ask yourself that question today. Well, I got the chance to witness somebody. I got the chance to share with one of my friends about Jesus. It doesn't have to be something big that happens every day, but yet the Bible tells us we're to preach the Word of God, just like this man. He was just a nobody. And Jesus says, I want you to preach the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean he's got to be the pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas. That just means that every one of us are called to do the same thing, basically, to share the gospel with somebody else. And lastly, the unforsaken circle. Now, this man also seems to want to follow Jesus, but he has a condition, this third man. He wants to put his family ahead of Jesus. I want to say something now, not primarily as a pastor, but as a matter of fact, contrary to what a lot of you probably are thinking right now as I say these words, but being a pastor is my secondary role in life. My primary role is as a husband to my wife 
and as a father to my sons, even though they're grown, and as a grandfather to my five grandchildren. That's my primary purpose in life. You say, well, that puts the church down the list a little bit, doesn't it? I don't think so. I want to speak to you now as a, not as a pastor, but as a family man. Nobody in this world loves their family more than I love my family. I've got the five best grandkids anybody could ever have, period. Sorry yours don't rate that high, but mine do. <laughs> I've got the two best sons anybody could ever have. Sorry again for your loss, but it's still the fact. But anyway, I'd already mentioned her. So <laughs> Boy, so I want to... Anybody that chooses their earthly family over their heavenly father is not fit to serve the heavenly father. You say, well, I don't, I don't like the sound of that. Sorry. I didn't write it. Jesus did. <laughs> Take it up with him. I heard one time about a, the way that a man proposed his wife, and I thought, man, that, that is good. And I thought it was one of the most greatest proposals I've ever heard. This man was a tremendous Christian, and as much as he loved his fiance, he made it plain that he didn't love anybody like he loved Jesus Christ. He got on his knees, and he was questioned, and the question was asked. He said, sweetheart, would you be willing to take second place in my life for the rest of your life? I think that's beautiful. What he was saying to her was, would you be willing to marry me knowing that Jesus Christ is number one in my life? Isn't that beautiful? I want to make it plain. The Lord Jesus will not play second fiddle in the orchestra of your life. Either he'll be first place or he won't be. That's how important it is. He will not serve as vice president of the government of your life. He will not be first runner-up in the beauty contest of your life. That's why you read in verse 62, Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You cannot plow a straight row while looking back. Now, I've never plowed a fail in my life, but that's what I'm told. You've got to keep your eyes fixed straight of the goal ahead of you. You cannot drive a car by looking in the rearview mirror the whole time you're driving. It's nice to look back there every once in a while, but you can't do it always. Jesus said you cannot follow him with a double mind, trying to look in the two different directions at the same time. He wants your full attention, your full affection, and your total allegiance. That's what he wants from each one of us. In just a moment, I'm going to give you the greatest invitation, the greatest opportunity, the greatest privilege you're ever going to have in your life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to say today, I want to follow Jesus totally in my life. You say, well, you're talking to a bunch of Christians. What's the difference? Just because you're a Christian does not mean you're totally following Jesus. Can you imagine this church? Next year, if everybody that's sitting right here became full-fledged followers of Jesus Christ, 
there wouldn't be enough seats to hold the people that would be here. And all we have to do is do what Jesus told us. Go and preach the kingdom of God. That's it. I could go out and speak to 25 people this week. But just imagine what if you went out and spoke to two this week. You'd have ten times as many contacts as I can have. You see, sometimes I think we take church too lightly. Let me make it plan, plain. There's no excuse for not following Jesus and not following Him with all of your heart. You can make all the excuses you want and try to make yourself feel better. But Benjamin Franklin said, I quote, I have never known a man that was good at making excuses that was good at anything else. The fact of the matter is, if you excuse yourself from following Jesus, you will regret it for eternity. Did you hear what I said? You'll regret it for eternity. Wait a minute. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm just not following. Can you imagine standing before Jesus and he said, I ask you to go preach the kingdom. You didn't. Why not? You'll regret that for all of eternity because you didn't do what Jesus told you to do. I heard a story about a general years and years ago. They went to do battle with an enemy that was way overrated for them. They didn't match up in any ways. He had taken his army by boat to meet the enemy, who dramatically outnumbered his own forces. When all the soldiers had gotten off the boats, he ordered the boats to be burned. As they watched the only way they could escape go up in flames, the general turned to his men and said, You cannot escape, so there are only two options. Win the battle or die. They won the battle. If you want to live a winner and you want to die a winner, you must burn your bridges behind you before it's too late. Let me close with this true story. This is a true story. In 1904, a young man graduated from high school in Chicago, Illinois. He was a member of the Moody Bible Church where R.A. Torrey was the pastor. His name was William Borden, the heir to the Borden Dairy Estate. He was a multimillionaire by his family. For a graduation gift, his parents sent him on a year, uh, uh, around the world cruise. He went to Hong Kong, through Asia, through Egypt, through Middle East, throughout all the capitals of Europe. He would write letters to his parents describing the compassion and the burden that he got for those thousands and millions of people that he saw. Finally, in one letter, he wrote to his mother, Mother, I believe God is calling me to the mission field. In another letter, he said, Mother, I'm sure God's calling me to be a missionary. I'm going to give my life and prepare for the mission field. He came home and spent four years at Yale University. He was tempted to forget his education and go straight to the mission field, but he said, I want to be as prepared as possible. After that, he spent three years at Princeton University. While he was in college, he anonymously gave away over $70,000 to the cause of missions. This is back in 1904 area. 
As he graduated from the seminary and prepared to go to the mission field, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. He had made up his mind to live by faith, trust God for his power, and that there would be nothing he held back in his Christian life. After he graduated, he was offered many outstanding jobs. He turned all of them down, and he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible, no retreats. He said, God has called me. I am going. I am not going to look back. My hand is on the plow. He sailed for China to work with a group of Muslims in China. He went to Egypt to work with the Muslims in Egypt. While he was in Egypt, he contracted several meningitis and was dead within a month. Now, there are a lot of people who would say, what a waste. He spent all that time preparing for the mission field, and then he died. But he had written in the back of his Bible two other words before he died. Not only under the words of no reserves and under the words of no retreats, he had written these words, and no regrets. My friend, I've been following Jesus now for over 40 years of my life. And I can tell you, if you come to Jesus and get to know him like he's supposed to know him, With no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. It's the greatest life you'll ever follow in your life. There's nothing better. Nothing better. Oh, you may face hard times. You may even die. But don't regret it. You've had a chance to live for Jesus. Now, in closing, are there anybody here, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything else, but you're a Christian. You know you're a Christian, but you also know you've not been the kind of Christian you need to be. Is that you this morning? In just a moment, we're going to say a prayer and have an invitation. Folks, I believe our church is set for God to do something in this church. I don't know what it is. He may have to get rid of me before he can do it. I don't know. But I know this. God wants to do something great in Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. And I believe this time next year we'll see whether we were ready for it or not. We've got things planned this year. We've got our Mission Cove planned already. There's something come up in March at spring break that we're going to do. We're trying to reach out. Are we going to do what God calls us to do? Every one of us, go and preach the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean you have to stand behind a pulpit in a church. That means you share Jesus with people you know and people you don't know, and watch Jesus take over. Let's stand to our feet. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. As we come to close the service, we just ask that you would just move among us. Lord, we've heard inspiring music, and Lord, now we've heard the message that you've put on our hearts. And Lord, we just ask now that each one of us would analyze it. And, Lord, if we, if necessary, use these steps at an altar to come before God and say, Lord, I just want to be more of what you want me to be. Whatever the need is, whatever the desire is, whatever God's called us to be, Lord, give us the courage to step out and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it now. Whatever the need. Maybe there's some here in this church that you're looking for a church home and God's saying, This is where I want you to serve. I've got a special part for you to play. Oh, how welcome you'd be. 
Whatever the need is, as God's speaking to you, don't turn it down. You may never have another choice. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.